Are you an impact creator? Do you know one? Black Dahlia CBD has opened submissions for the Communal Table Project. They'll select three unique impact creators who are developing products and services to support and uplift others in their communities. Each recipient will be awarded a grant of $5,000 in order to continue their work in well-being and to help change lives for the better. Applicants must complete a questionnaire and submit a 60- to 90-second video to share more about themselves, their project vision, and how the Communal Table Project Grant can help them achieve that goal. To apply, please visit blackdahlia.co slash communaltableproject. Applications will be open through October 30th. Hey, what's up? This is Menle Golakai Agri. And this is Lauren Yoshiko, and you're listening to Broccoli Talk, a podcast for cannabis lovers. It is always a good time to talk mental well-being. Mm. I have actually been thinking about this more lately, as I imagine everyone has, just uh, the sort of forced return to the pace of pre-pandemic life. That definitely messed me up this year. Mm. I mean, it was like whiplash in every sense, right? Like mind, body, soul, activism, everything. And also I feel like, Back in the unemployment days, I was doing like regular acupuncture visits. Ooh, that's good. I know. And I haven't really been doing that. And I think that's hitting. Also, I haven't like taken as many baths in my apartment because I don't have one. And like, I think that's probably taken away from my my Zen time. I'm not currently talking to anybody regularly, like talking to a professional Um, And I think it's showing I truly dropped everything on Monday because I was so jammed up with like emotions, worries, distractions about stuff way beyond my control that no longer serves me and just like journaled to try to like clear some shit out. I mean, the journaling is huge. That's my substitute therapy for sure. It is. And it's oftentimes the homework that a lot of therapists will give us. You know, I think for me, what's been challenging in seeing someone is the lack of (laughs) doing the homework sometimes, at least in written form, because it really helps with that processing. You know, I hear you. In terms of the bath situation and that correlation of mind, body, when it comes to even mental health, and I know you're such a bath bay. I am. I like to soak this body in water, too, and I haven't had a bathtub for many years. And so anyway, I mean, I don't want to harp on it, but I just feel you when it comes to that entirely. Honestly, Beyonce provided a lot of mental health care with summer renaissance. <laughs> like she helped me get through my cheap summer without professional therapy because I feel like I, I haven't really been in the zone to be out out again, like at a dance party. So yeah. like getting down to that album and like getting lost in the in those vocal riffs of Virgo's groove, like it helped me clear out some psychological cobwebs over the July month. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's I am seeing someone regularly and it's it's girl. been really nice. We've started, we took a little mini break for about a month. And um, what I will say in reaction to Beyonce's album is that style of music, I think, can lend to this like therapeutic um, release. Yes, catharsis. I don't know if it's repetition. I don't know if it's like, yeah, maybe a cultural thing. And I think even the the like syncopated rhythms of it can just feel like it encourages a type of dance, a type of thought that can be 
yeah, therapeutic, cathartic. At least that's my two cents on the matter. <laughs> I totally agree. Also, did you see Big Frida launched um, some weed strains in the California market? Wait, yes. I saw the interview where I think she was just talking about all the things in life, but I'm so excited about this. This is one of the best celebrity weed moments I think we have had yet. Truly. Cute name. One of them is like, release your wiggle, and I'm like, good. I'm glad Beyonce wasn't weird about copyright infringement. Um <laughs> Okay, before we continue to talk about Beyonce for 30 minutes, right? what's new in the Broccoli universe that we need to share right now? Broccoli has released a new puzzle. Oh, It is a collab between Piecework Puzzles and Mushroom People. It's been an inspiration, I think, for the puzzle to come from these pages of Mushroom People, a second magazine all about mushroom fact and fantasy. And so... We realize there are cool similarities between the feelings of foraging and working on a puzzle. It's it's very intricate. It, I don't know. It, it works with your mind in a way that I think is very fun, sparkly, but productive, you know? Yes. You're hunting. You're seeking. You're hunting. You're seeking. And you really have to get into a meditative zone to find the tiny detail you're looking for. And so you can find a new puzzle called Magic Moments on PeaceworkPuzzle.com. And that is not the only Mushroom People collab released this month. We have also got, you guys, I mean, drum roll, <laughs> thunderclap. <laughs> Slow clap. This is so exciting. Fucking mushroom people nail polish. Yo. Ah, yeah. I'm I dying. know. We're so excited. This is Broccoli's first nail polish at all. And this is four nail polish colors inspired by the mushroom mag, produced in collaboration with Brand By, which I'm not familiar with, but um, I'm about to be because there are four colors, including Fairy Ring, Amanita, Lichen, which is this like shimmery, limey, mossy green, of course. Um, Bark, which is like chocolatey brown. It's so cute. They had come in super chic pairs, but I think together, yeah, unlimited creative options. The other ones are a shimmery red and a really light, almost popping light, light lavender. It's so pretty. But you can shop them right now at brandbuy.us. So exciting. It's so exciting. I'm looking at my nails, which are done right now, but I'm imagining hey. some bark with some lichen on there. And it's it's just enchanting. I'm so excited. This is the next level that we have been waiting for. <laughs> truly, truly. I mean, ugh. otherwise, like Broccoli Report newsletter about trends, What's happening? Interesting launches. What kind of products people are digging right now, both like accessory wise in the lifestyle realm and product wise in CBD or THC realms. You got to check out the Broccoli Report. I'm very proud of what we've created. Like it's pretty much to the point where if you go to our Substack page, thebroccolireport.com and you just search in the bar like any term like I want to learn about beverages. I want to learn about CBD trends. All the results are just going to be this like perfect curated reading list of newsletters we've touched on that theme before. And you could even just search like Arizona. And like every time we've ever mentioned Arizona, we'll bring up it's like a picture of the Arizona market right now. And if you know people that are interested in learning more about this industry, are in the industry and wanting to get a better grasp of what's happening like efficiently, Please share the Broccoli Report with them because I know that I I talk to people every day that are like, oh, this is exactly what I was looking for. 
it's impressive, it's a resource, it's strong, and it's only getting bigger. Okay, all right. Tell me who you talked to for this episode. So I had a very deep, very beautiful conversation with Deirdre Wallace, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist who takes a trauma-informed approach. And we had a really illuminating talk just about, you know, some of the practical advice that she gave us when it comes to taking tea breaks or cannabis tolerance breaks. Yeah, yeah. And really how to incorporate, I think, herb into also romantic relationships. It's just juicy. It's informative. It's a really grounding discussion, I think, both about mental health and weed coming from a person who has a very deep and rich connection to both. And so I'm just really looking forward to everyone listening. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's like the one question I ask a potential therapist is like, tell me about your opinions about marijuana right. because I just I want to know because if they don't have a healthy relationship to it whether they use it or not if they don't have a healthy perception of cannabis as a plant then they are everything we talk about is going to be colored by it like that's such a, a base I can't wait to hear this I, I know that this is going to be extremely valuable plus I yeah. Uh, yeah. need to get a hold of my tea consumption a smidge just you know inflation's hitting y'all well Let's get it. It is such an honor to have you here on our show today. First, if you could just introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a a little bit about yourself and what you do. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here today. Yes. So my name is Deirdre Wallace, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California. I think something that I always like people to know about me is that, you know, I kind of would argue that that there is nothing more valuable than doing this deep interior work that changes Mm -hmm. like our lives for the better, which is why I'm so passionate about this type of work. And I love that I do. So that's one thing I always like people to kind of know and understand about me. That's huge, right? To know that this is what I choose and and desire and thrive in. I love that. Well, I mean, since you bring it up, let's just dive in okay. and and talk about your background as a licensed marriage and family therapist. What brings a person to this kind of career? What were the first, I guess, inklings and interest of mental health care in your life and maybe even in your other careers as well? Yeah, um, I appreciate that question. You know, I think it's it's really personal. I think it's different and unique to each individual. Usually it has something to do with their own their own past, something that they've went through, something that, you know, they've endured or wanted to relate or like bring some sort of sense of their own experience into the work and, uh, and feeling like they could be really supportive. So for me, like I always had this pull to become a therapist. I don't really remember why I remember thinking about it in undergrad, Mm -hmm. but I remember when my career counselor was like, okay, then you got to do like two more years. I was like, oh no, Uh -uh, I'm done. (laughs) I'm out. Uh, You know, I was like, I'm going to stick with the art. But, you know, years later, you know, through going through different like careers and running my own businesses and other sectors, I found myself kind of back at that like, well, shoot, like, what do I do now? Where am I going to go? It made me think about my times in therapy and like when that kind of spark you kind of asked of like that inkling of like, for me was just 
trying to understand my own patterns, my behaviors, you know, my family history, like Mm -hmm. trying to understand why do people do what they do, trying to make sense of it all. Because Mm -hmm. life is really hard. Family is hard. Relationships are hard. Facts. (laughs) You know, being in therapy and what I've learned and what I've continued to learn as a therapist have really transformed my life. And I wanted to support other individuals and guide them on their own journey to self-discovery and just, you know, reconnecting with their authentic self. Yeah, that's huge. You know, I think that at least in my experience with speaking to someone and, and, and having a relationship with a therapist, what is so rich about usually the person I'm working with is their experience, right? Yeah, like their ability yeah. to kind of understand mm-hmm. the many facets, both healthy and unhealthy mm-hmm. and whatever. Mm-hmm. I would actually like to talk just briefly about what your background was as an artist, right? I know that you design shoes. I know you have been an entrepreneur and still are through this practice, but in what ways do you think that also has kind of nourished your your practice now? Mm. When I was that 20, 20 year old girl that was like, I want to be a therapist maybe to mm. like going back to school at the age of, I think I was 35 and how much life experience I, I endured during that time. How much experience I got running my own businesses, you know, like being an entrepreneur, like life experiences. Um, And so I think it just taught me a lot about myself, being connected to different, um, you know, like art and different creatives and and how that all kind of comes into therapy now because therapy is so creative. It is very artistic. There's a way that it moves when you're in the room with somebody and you're kind of like having to shift and like troubleshoot and pivot, which a lot of things you do as like an entrepreneur and business and things like that. So it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's interesting that the timing of it. And and I'm glad that I didn't make that decision at age 20 and that, you know, making that decision at age 35 felt really, really like where I was supposed to be. I love that. I think that's something that can probably be taken as advice in various different careers, right? Even mm-hmm. thinking of anyone who wants to be in the cannabis career now and thinking, oh, it's it's taken too long or is right. it too late for me yeah. to go back to school, et cetera. I mean, and, and that's a perfect segue because we are on a cannabis podcast. Mm-hmm. And of course, I think what echoes about therapy and life in general is that it's it has different modalities in right. terms of cannabis. The, art, science, creative aspects, etc. And I'm just curious, what is your relationship to cannabis? And, you know, given that, how did your interest or does your interest sort of coexist with with mental health and providing, I guess, tools for mental health in, in your community? Yeah. So I guess like my relationship has changed a lot with cannabis since my youth. Yes. Let's talk about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> And as my as well as my perspective um, around cannabis and use, and you know, like I have a really long, beautiful, I'll say, up and down history with cannabis over the years, and and in many different facets. You know, from you know being a, a heavy smoker, consumer, pothead, whatever, like as a youth, mm-hmm. to living up in Humble County for seven years and being around like the community and getting introduced to all these different aspects of cannabis and the cannabis industry to then also building a career in the industry for over 10 years. Yeah. And now, you know, as a therapist, sometimes, sometimes supporting my clients around their usage or their experiences in the industry. 
And, you know, now as my adult self, you know, my relationship, my, the way I consume is, you know, mainly around like medicinals of CBD, CBG, because mm-hmm. like my body, I found it, it didn't respond well to, to the THC components, especially mm-hmm. in relation to my anxiety, my history of panic attacks yeah. and dealing with headaches. And so, you know, I remember um, having to question myself around my use when I was younger Mm -hmm. and kind of like why am I so attached to smoking yeah because it was having negative impacts you know there was fun aspects to it right and so I had to become really curious around the why why I was using what about it felt supportive and had to be really real with myself um in all the ways and identifying like hey this isn't it's not helping me and why am I so attached to this identity Mm-hmm. How is it serving me? You know, because I had lack of motivation. I was fatigued. I had anxiety. I was an introvert. I would shut down and go like, you know, more inside myself. So I really had yeah. to take an honest look at myself. And eventually I stopped smoking. So again, you know, fast forward to now, like years later, it's like my relationship is with cannabis is more sacred. It's uh, centered around ritual mm-hmm. um, and used medicinally for like healing and pain relief. That's kind of where I would say my relationship is with cannabis today. That's beautiful. That's a long, fun, jagged, smooth path, it sounds like. (laughs) Throughout this pathway that you've described, you've been able to kind of sit in the seat of observing Mm -hmm. um, as someone who it sounds like for a very long time have been considering, you know, what does your life look like both as a practitioner and as uh, someone who um, has a relationship to mental health. What are some of the most, would you say, common misconceptions about mental health? Yeah, I think this is a really important question. The first one that comes to mind for me is that it's not normal to struggle, that it's not normal to feel badly. Mm. But really, mental health struggles are a completely normal part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one is that people should be able to handle their mental health issues on their own. Mm -hmm. And in reality, there's like so much support that's out there to help you feel better. And sometimes, you know, I do want to kind of acknowledge and recognize like how our healthcare system doesn't quite value mental health services like it should. So oftentimes it can be a privilege to have access to that therapy. Mm-hmm. Another mis- big misconception is that mental health disorders are a sign of weakness or um, a lack of willpower, which I think is one of the most damaging because you know mental disorders are medical conditions. They're caused by a variety of factors, including uh, genetics, environment, and life right. experiences like trauma. And in reality, managing a mental health disorder requires so much strength and resilience. Right. It takes a lot of courage to start your healing journey because it's not easy. You have to face some of the, the, the depths and the shadows and the darkness, which also has some beauty in it. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, I do feel like this myth is kind of gradually disappearing as there is this, an awareness of, of mental illness. Like it's like growing, you know, there's, there's been a really mm-hmm. big shift, yes. especially in this next generation. And since we are here talking about cannabis, I want to talk about, um, you know, a big misconception about people who consume cannabis is that they just want to get high and how they're often characterized as being lazy or they're unintelligent or they're even dangerous. And that's 
just simply not true. And again, that just stems from the stigma around cannabis and the negative history first kind of starting with like Mexicans bringing it in and to the war on drugs and the attack on black and brown communities. So right. there's a lot there. It is a lot. It is a lot. And I'm, you know, I'm glad you brought up that last sort of segment too, because I think for a lot of folks who don't have access to mental health services or support mm-hmm. in their youth, they mm-hmm. oftentimes turn to cannabis, right? Mm-hmm. And plant medicine. Yeah. And I think I think about myself as a young person and, you know, it wasn't necessarily like I wanted to be, it was cute, but I I didn't want to be bad by smoking Mm -hmm. weed. I was like curious about it. And once I recognized what that felt like and that warm hug that it sort of provided in a sense for certain things like anxiety, et cetera, because I was smoking like once a year at that point in my life, (laughs) you know, but that, that was something that felt like it was a way to heal. It felt Mm -hmm. like it was a tool for me. And you know, I think that is a very beautiful and um, important aspect to bring up when it comes to misconceptions and the fact that, yeah, yeah that is sometimes what people have access to and mm-hmm. and maybe that's how it enters their life. But there's also dependency, right? And right. are there some cases where you have seen folks become dependent and what might be advice or questions or tools that you might offer um, people? So... Seeing folks dependent on cannabis, you know, I think it's it's really about like when does cannabis affect or impact the quality of their life? Does it consume their day, like needing to smoke heavy amounts mm-hmm. all day? Does it become like the go-to method for managing emotional distress? Is it causing relationship problems, affecting their mood, uh, memory, or concentration? Are they finding themselves um, having like a reduced interest in their hobbies or is it becoming something you could do instead of a solution to a specific mm-hmm. symptom? As well as it like, is it taking away, like decreasing their energy towards self-care? When is it impacting their quality of yeah. life? I love that. I, I, I think that it sounds like there needs to be some sort of dependency journal, <laughs> right? For use where you can really take a look. I mean, we could all create it ourselves, yeah. but you know, thinking of therapy and the fact that journaling is one of the tools that is so powerful. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you look at your relationship to cannabis, specifically talking about this, you know, this Mm -hmm. one very sliver of mental health and or something that might come up in a session, um, you know, like having that tool to be able to kind of measure, yeah, how do I feel based on all those questions you just asked? What does that look like on a monthly basis? how much mm-hmm. I use it, how much I don't, if I take a break, what changes, et cetera. How can I right. incorporate different yeah. herbs and think about other cannabinoids? Thank you yeah. for bringing that up. I think that will be really yeah. supportive to a lot of people who are listening. If somebody is considering taking a break or, yeah, is finding that they are dependent, what do you think might be the best tools of practice to, to help take that pause or what might be the benefits? You know, I think taking a break from cannabis is, you know, definitely a common and healthy practice. And so the benefits of taking that kind of tolerance break can include like fresh perspectives, yeah. new room for growth, um, rejuvenating effects when you come back from the break, hey. you know, <laughs> <laughs> having more vivid dreams and shoot, I mean, saving yourself some money too. Right. So yeah. So if somebody does want to look at their dependence use a little bit more. I think 
there's there's really no perfect way to quit or to take a break from cannabis. And right. you know, what works for someone else might not help you so much. So sometimes, you know, you gotta kinda go through that trial and error to find to find out what works for you. Mm-hmm. I think the first important piece is to understand is your why. Why do you want to take a break? Why do you want to stop? Because that's going to be the anchoring your process. The next is like considering your approach. Um, and we can get really like deep into this, right? So mm-hmm. um, maybe we want to do kind of the quick grip off the bandage and do the cold turkey. Um, so if that's the case, you need to get rid of your gear. Um, and even prior to starting that that cold turkey quit, it's like thinking about how can you change your behaviors at those routine times or the rituals you have with cannabis. Like when you wake right. up and smoke, what do you do instead? Can you work out, go for a walk, meditate, mm-hmm. um, or the wind down in the evening, like before you go to sleep. So instead of smoking, like reading, journaling, drinking some tea. Um, so this can be really challenging at first and it's not going to happen overnight, <laughs> yes. right? right? Like any habit, it's like, it takes time. It takes practice and it takes patience. You know, a lot of times I, I hear people talk about smoking and because they're bored, you know? So if that's something you do, like, okay, you got to pick up a new hobby. You got to need to pick up a new interest. So it's all about replacing. So you don't want to pull something away and not have something there to replace mm-hmm. it. So it's really important to be thinking about those things, especially ahead of time before you start to do the cold turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, and also reaching out to loved ones, right? Like getting that support. Um, who can help distract you? Yeah, letting them know. <laughs> yeah, letting them know, holding you accountable. <laughs> right. They, maybe they'll engage with you in some of these new coping strategies. You know, they'll mm-hmm. give you encouragement. And then also too, like sometimes people experience withdrawal symptoms. So you think you need to think about that. And like, do you need to talk to an addiction specialist or, you know, get some some pointers around how to kind of maneuver through that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then you can also choose a gradual approach, right? Because maybe you smoke a lot and quitting too abrupt may be too difficult. So slowly reducing over time, we kind of come a little bit more like harm reduction, you know, can maybe help you to have more success and also help decrease kind of the severity of the withdrawal symptoms. Um, Not everybody gets them, but, you know, but it is important to talk about. Right. And then how do you taper off? Do you want to decrease the weed, like buy a specific amount each day, use less each day? Like, do you go to lower potency strains, switching to weaker products and keeping yourself busy, right? Same thing, getting involved in new activities as you cut back. And then a big one is understanding your triggers. Yes. Either way you decide to take the approach, like identifying these triggers and developing a plan for when these arise really help for the long-term success. Mm. Getting into therapy is super helpful to help explore any of the underlying issues that are contributing to your cannabis use and also offer support as you take those first steps. This is super rich, so helpful. You know, it's fascinating you talk about replacement. Mm-hmm. And I, I I know that in the many times that I've taken breaks, um, most times not publicly. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work well for the brand. No, I'm kidding. I, it actually does because I think you know, replacing sometimes looks like using, again, a hemp mm-hmm. cannabinoid or totally. something that is integrated with other herbs that are supportive. Right. Because, you know, there's not that much research, but there is a healthy amount of research that shows that CBD can block different things yes. associated with withdrawals, with, with yes. 
even mm-hmm. absorbing THC, opioids, mm-hmm. et cetera. And so yeah. that's that's a really interesting and almost kind of cruel <laughs> way to do it, <laughs> where you're sort of like, this is helping me, but also it's, yeah. it's doing something completely different than what I want yeah, to do. Yeah, <laughs> no. And I'm so glad you brought that up because part of it is like, right, that that the attachment to THC, the euphoric high, you know, yeah. that's just one part of it. And you're right. Like, you know, yeah, there's other ways. It doesn't mean you have to stop using some of like the CBD and things like that. It is mm-hmm. more medicinal and it isn't going to have the the impact the way that THC does on your body. What do Broccoli Talk episodes in your period have in common? They both come once a month. Unfortunately, the latter also comes with cramps, lower back pain, sore boobs, and migraines. But now, say enough to period pain with enough period. This new CBD-infused body care line is devoted to making periods less painful. Enough Period's first product is a cycle support balm called The Ritual. At 1,200 milligrams of full-spectrum CBD, each two-ounce jar packs more than double the potency of leading CBD balms, plus the calming scent of lavender, cedarwood, peppermint, and patchouli. The Ritual is made with non-GMO, pesticide-free, organic hemp grown on small, family-run U.S. farms. And a portion of its proceeds go to the Last Prisoner Project and the Period Movement, working to end cannabis injustice and period poverty. Develop a new relationship with your period. Get 30% off your first purchase with the code ENOUGH. That's E-N-U-F. Head to Enough Period, E-N-U-F-P-E-R-I-O-D dot com. Readers of Broccoli and Mushroom People know that the worlds of cannabis and psychedelics are ever-evolving. So is Studio Linear. Since 2019, this woman-owned digital design studio has specialized in branding for the cannabis industry. And now, Studio Linear is excited to work with brands in the emerging psychedelics industry, too. Are you building a business in this healing space? Studio Linear offers branding, packaging, logos, web design, messaging, and much more. You have a vision for your brand, and as creatives in the consciousness-expanding culture, they take that vision higher. That's because they love the unique opportunities for experimentation and play that come with cannabis and psychedelics projects. Design is a gateway to reaching your target audience. Together, you and Studio Linear can blow their minds. Visit studiolinear.com to book a discovery call now. have advice for partners when it comes to cannabis, right? I think what comes to mind is maybe a partnership. Just we're talking about two right now. We can get into three later on y'all, but this is not the episode. (laughs) Um, But you know, when you have a partnership where one person is is more into it than the other, one person Uh maybe has a dependency issue and Uh the other one doesn't, or it's more of a way to connect Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to intimacy, both sexually Mm -hmm. and and Mm non-sexually. And so I'd love to talk about kind of how you incorporate that, if at all. I've definitely had this come up in sessions before with individuals and their partners. And so I think it's important to always be mindful and curious on how cannabis is impacting the really or what kind of effect it's having on the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Is it having a negative impact on your relationship? Are you having fights um, about decreased productivity in your partner or like, 
Um, are you noticing feelings of emotional disconnect related to cannabis? So it's like really kind of like identifying how is this impacting my relationship? Is it impacting it in, in a negative way? Because if it does, then those are things that you need to look at or, you know, you need to look at with your partner. So when coming to couples who want to use it together, and I think you said like have it, uh, different relationships with it, mm-hmm. communication, right? Conversations. Okay. So what does each partner want, want the experience to look or feel like? What right. are their needs within that experience? Are there boundaries that have to be set prior to when they share it together? Like, okay, mm. we're not going to talk about some heavy, deep questions. Don't ask right. me about this thing. <laughs> yes. Um, certain topics are off limits, you know, like avoiding triggers, right? So yeah. I think it's like communication, talking about these things before you have some of those shared experiences. Mm-hmm. And in what ways do you think it can help bring couples together um, when given that they both have sort of a healthy relationship to it? I think it can be really helpful with sex and intimacy, right? Like throughout history, cannabis has been used for sex and sex-related enjoyment and as bringing people uh, closer together in more ways Mm -hmm. than one. And this is, like I said, (laughs) history. It is a way if like, you know, if you're maybe you're going through a dry spell with your partner, you're feeling like the connection is lacking. Sometimes cannabis can help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's other different forms. It's like in different lubes and things like that that can increase pleasure and sensitivity. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of different ways it can be used, especially like with sex and intimacy, as long as you don't get too overwhelmingly high. <laughs> it's blissful and it really can be and I, I I do like the idea of using it intentionally in yeah. a sort of sacred way to bring a couple together and to mm-hmm. sort of try try something together maybe that they hadn't or that they know they enjoy so speaking of cannabis use yeah. especially being a therapist in in California what does that look like in terms of both your relationship and what you can disclose, and also how the relationship to cannabis interacts with your patients. Like, how do you talk about it? Can you talk about it? Yeah, Etc. totally. Great question. So ethically, we are taught to share minimal to no personal information with our clients, you know, because sharing right. personal uh, experiences or views that um, violate a client's value system may threaten um, their trust in us as an appropriate source of help, or it could even like damage the rapport of the relationship. Um, so too much self-disclosure can blur the boundaries also of the, the professional relationship. So it's really personal to each therapist um, when it comes to self-disclosure mm-hmm. and how much they choose to share. And so I kind of think of this rule of thumb of when coming to sharing personal information is like, could this information affect the rapport I have with my client? And or right. how would this information be beneficial and supportive to my client? Because therapy mm-hmm. is not, it's not about me and it, it's about them and how it's supportive. So I think, yes, a therapist's own experiences can help them to understand the pain and struggles of others, right? As we mentioned. However, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you got to think about how everyone's path is different. And no one gets addicted mm-hmm. or depressed in exactly the same way or for exactly the same reason. So simply telling mm-hmm. your own story isn't always needed to help others. So I think right. talking about cannabis in, you know, in a session when it comes to the client bringing it in, it's really about having that safe space where your client feels that they 
can trust you, understanding confidentiality and that they can talk about all of their drug use and it is not going to leave that space or that room, you know, unless Mm -hmm. it is like one of the exceptions, which is kind of like harm to self, harm to others, you know, abuse, things like that. Right. Besides that, but it's like that is going to stay in the room and it is then Mm -hmm. up to the therapist to be non-judgmental, to hold that information, to support their client in that. And if they have an issue or they're having trouble doing that, then they either need to, you know, kind of have a discussion or they need to kind of refer their client out because that's not fair to the client because the client should be able to bring in and have space and trust their therapist and not be judged for their, their use. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, you specialize in anxiety, trauma, grief, and loss, amongst other things. And I understand that you are not a, a doctor working within the space of cannabis, but do you believe that there are some ways in which cannabis can sort of help with a few of these things that I mentioned before that you specialize in? Like you said, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a researcher, besides doing my own personal research, and nor do I call myself an expert on this subject. You know, however, in my personal opinion, what I do notice is that everyone is different and can have a different response to cannabis being clinically supportive to an individual. And I also think about what kind of scale is being, is this being measured on, if that makes sense? Like, I think. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. I think it can be clinically helpful and I think people can rely on it in an unhealthy way telling themselves it's clinically helpful for, let's say, like processing their emotion or like, you know, it helps with their mood. And is it really doing that? Is it more so masking what's at the root of one's distress or what they're actually feeling? Mm -hmm. Research, you know, definitely shows that CBD and CBG tend to be more medicinal, more so than THC. And Mm -hmm. in some of that research has shown that CBD to have more of a calming effect, um, anti-anxiety properties, can support individuals experiencing PTSD, pain relief, improved sleep, epilepsy, and possibly decreasing progression of schizophrenia or psychosis in in individuals Mm -hmm. who have a predisposition. And the important part here is that there's still a lot of research happening and being done around how it exactly works, what's the right amount, what's the dosage, and also folks knowing exactly what's in each product, like the quality, There's so much research and it's still being explored. And it's really exciting to see that this like medicinal plant is finally being framed in a positive light because it really is rich and it's amazing. It's use if if cultivated and used correctly. Mm -hmm. I also think about the stress that's induced um, in my personal experience and and probably in yours as well, being in the cannabis industry Mm -hmm. as someone who has been either Mm -hmm. a grower or a driver or just Mm -hmm. someone who has to think about, you know, their business and the delicacies Mm -hmm. of it and that stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you offer to folks who do find themselves... um, yeah, going back to that trauma and that stress of being in the industry, of of dealing with issues within cannabis when it comes to police, when it comes mm-hmm. to discrimination, mm-hmm. what does that look like and, and what, what might you offer, I guess, to them? Mm-hmm. When somebody experiences trauma or they have traumatic experiences, um, if we don't address them, if we don't deal with it, trauma is stored in the body. 
Mm-hmm. So it's really finding some ways to work through and process that trauma. And oftentimes it, it really does take, I, you know, I believe the support of like therapy or a therapist or you mm-hmm. know, somebody to kind of help guide you through that. Mm-hmm. The MDR, brain spotting, um, there's different modalities that are really supportive when it comes to trauma. Those two, what's really beautiful about them is that you don't always have to talk about your experience. So you don't uh-huh. risk like re- re-traumatizing yourself by talking about the experience. Mm-hmm. What are some of the tools that they can do on their own? Like exercising, breath work, eating well, taking care of yourself, slowing down, giving yourself that break. Mm-hmm. Again, talking about your problems. What sort of advice do you have for listeners trying to kind of find an approach to therapy that, that fits well for them? I think the biggest piece of advice is don't be afraid to interview your therapist. Ask them questions. Right. You know, when you're looking for a therapist and you're, you're doing those consultations, ask about how they work with different mental health disorders, how they might support you to reach the goals that you want to attain for yourself. Are they culturally competent? And also like learning about the different types of modalities, doing some research on your own. If you've been in therapy before, what did you notice? What did you like? What didn't you like? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, really, it's like the most important thing is feeling like you have a connection to your therapist and, yeah. and trusting them. And, and that's going to build the trust, right? It's like you have to have that connection so you can start to build that rapport and that trust. Mm-hmm. I want to close out with a question that might be too broad or maybe just too far in the future to, to talk about. But what do you think the future is for therapy and cannabis, if at all? You know, I'm not really sure yet. I think there's a lot of amazing research happening around how cannabis can support mental health. And I think there's ways that we we see it already, like how it's evolving. Um, I think it's really exciting. um, And I'm definitely looking forward to continuing to see how it all unfolds. You know, I think it's definitely like an exciting time for cannabis and healing. And so, yeah, I guess we're, we're going to see. We're going to find out. We shall find out. I think that's a perfect place to end. Thank you so much for being such a wealth of information and, and knowledge and compassion. Mm. It's been beautiful talking to you and thank you so much. Let us know where we can find you online, in the world. Please drop that in here as well. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such an honor to share this space with you. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at therapy with D, D E E, and then also Deirdre Wallace Therapy.com. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. This episode was edited by Jay Nathan. Our music is by Giselle Garcia, and our logo design is by Jennifer Wright. Learn more about Broccoli and subscribe to the magazine at broccolimag.com. Thank you for listening.